Okay, so when I thought of this passage um, earlier, um, I, I always have to remember the person that I was when I was 21 years old. Um, I did not always believe in the Lord. And uh, often when I have to speak on a passage like this, I try to speak to the person that I was when I was 21 years old. So had I heard a passage like this, I would have said, you know, you know what, what is the evidence what, uh, what proof do I get that this is the word of God, that this is coming from people um, that are speaking out of a place of credibility? What, what evidence do I get? So um, for a passage like this, we actually have so much evidence behind it, you know, um, that this passage was written at a time where um, humorists and uh, philosophers and historians um, you know, were writing and they were documenting and they were archiving what was happening. So this is my just my little intro. I find it really important to remember uh, uh, Flavius Joseph and uh, and Celsus and uh, uh, Pliny and uh, those are men and women who some of them were uh, almost like stand-up comedians. So their jobs were to make everyone laugh. So some of them were making fun of Christ. But none of us ever none of them ever said this was a, a made up story. None of them. And uh that's the kind of thing that I would have liked to hear when I was 21 years old before getting into this passage. Um if I asked you and in a few seconds I'll be sharing a little bit more about me and that will help me to answer uh, a certain question but if I asked you to give me um, the most famous biblical character out there, um, I don't know if this is a rhetorical question. Maybe you can give me a few names, but the most famous biblical character. Jesus. Obviously, we would say Jesus. Some of my friends would probably say Moshe, Moses, Abraham. That's, those, that, those are good ones. Noah. Absolutely. Um, but actually, I have, a, I have another one for you. And his name is uh, Tertius. Tertius is the scribe um, who was always going from city to city with Paul. Tertius was, in a way, was Paul's secretary. So he had to follow Paul everywhere. Um, you get some of that later on in uh, the book of Romans, where Tertius actually comes and explains who he is. Um, some scholars, I just came back from Oxford, so I was surrounded by scholars. <laughs> some scholars believe that uh, Tertius was just a Gentile. I'm not a scholar. I don't know if I have any authority but um, in this domain. But I actually believe that he was Jewish. I believe that he was a Hellenistic Jew. Many scholars believe <laughs> that as well. And so he would have gone to synagogues with Paul. Paul was always making a point of making going to the synagogue first and then going to the rest of the Gentile community. And Tertius is someone who I think of sometimes because he was following Paul and he saw his sense of priority. He saw his way of life and how he was conducted, conducting his ministry. Um, later on in this book, Book of Romans, 
Paul is going to say that he's willing to lose his salvation for the Jewish people. Man, that's a, that's a big claim. I don't know that I would ever be able to say that. The word for um, when he says, I'm willing to be cast out. I'm willing to, be, to lose my salvation. And the word is anatema in, in Greek, and that's chechem. And chechem is really more like being, um, I don't know if that's a word that only Catholics are supposed to use, but excommunicated. So this is really what chechem means. It's being excommunicated. In this, in this uh, um, instance, it's not excommunicated from a community, but from the kingdom. Am I, am I, Aurel Vidal, am I willing to say that I'm ready to be cast out of the kingdom of God for my Jewish people? Or I have Jewish origins myself. I'm not sure. And if you here in Newbury, if you're not ready to say it, that makes complete sense to me. Why would you? I understand that. Um, Paul was a Turkish Jew. He was a Jewish man from Turkey. He had a sense of belonging, you know, blood, culture. He was one of them. You're not. So when I stand here and I'm telling you about the Jewish people, you have the right to say, okay, RL, that's fine for you. But uh, what about me here in Newbury? And uh, maybe you could even ask me the question, is there still power in the gospel today? 2023, the world has drastically changed in the last two years is there still power in the gospel is it still relevant are we supposed to still go on street corners and make fool of ourselves do people like me are meant to leave their job behind and go and do that or is it just like my childhood friends say random <laughs> irrelevant meaningless so you can all hear me, right? Yeah. So um, I just want to tell you really quickly, just two minutes, um, a little bit more about me that will explain some things. But I, so I was raised in a culturally Protestant family. Culturally meaning that my parents uh, didn't pray, didn't tell me about Jesus, never took me to church. Um, and I was... Uh, I was calling myself an agnostic on good days, on bad days, uh, an atheist. Um, and I was very cynical. I was very sarcastic. I was always mocking people. I was not a really nice bloke. Can I say that? A nice guy. Uh, a nice lad. Can I say that? Bloke is spot on? Okay, good. Yeah, I'm trying new things. Uh, Andy's like, don't try. Stick to the script. <laughs> So, um, <laughs> I just wanted to hear him laugh. Oh, it's so precious. It's so precious. I love your laugh. So, someone wanted to take me to a gospel event, and I had no desire to go. And this was a three-day event. And uh, this was in Houston, Texas. So, we were in an American football stadium. Uh, in a few days, the Super Bowl is going to be on this is the kind of stadiums that I was in, you know, where you can have up to 40,000 people inside the stadium. Three-day event, I was at the back making fun of everyone, making fun of the worship, the pre preachers. All of it was ridiculous to me. And there was someone sitting right next to me, and he was a bit like uh, in that movie Forrest Gump, 
Who has seen Forrest Gump? <laughs> also, almost everyone. For those who haven't seen it, I would say it was uh, disabled. I'm trying to be politi politically correct. Maybe a bit slow. Can I say that? Yeah. Um, so this guy never, he never spoke to me. He didn't say anything. And on the third day, um, I was touched by one testimony and I closed my eyes Um, and I said something that sounded a bit like this. I said, um, hey, I don't believe in you, but uh, if you exist, you're going to have to give me a sign of your existence, and I'm not going to settle for a warm feeling in my stomach. I need something real, a sign. And I opened my eyes, and they landed on someone sitting on the other side of the stadium. So he was like this big, right? And that's one person out of... 35,000, And my eyes are locked on this one man. I cannot look at anyone else. And of course, I'm sarcastic. So I'm thinking, oh, wow. God, I ask you for your si a sign of your existence. And you make me look at someone who's sitting down. But then I could not look at anyone else. They were just locked on this one man. And after a few minutes, the pastor on the pitch was talking about repentance and sin and what it means to be born from above, right? Born again. And he called people to come and repent and give their lives to Jesus. And only one man stood up. Only one man. And I think you guessed it. It was the man that I'd been looking at for five minutes. And so in that moment, I stopped for a second. I stopped mocking and wrestling with myself. And I thought, oh wow, that's one chance out of 40,000. Sheesh. I probably didn't think sheesh at the time. Um, and in that moment when I thought, God made me see this man before he stood up. And now everyone gets to see him. You know, the young man on my right turned around, looked at me straight into my eyes. And he said, it's your turn now. And I went. And it changed my life. And it's been a few years, but every time I share the story, I, I gave my life to the Lord. And uh, God, Christ, he took my heart and he just put it in the bin. And he gave me a brand new heart. Now I'm like the cheesiest guy you'll ever meet. I see, I see a sunset. I start crying. I'm a mess. I cry all the time. I was crying when you started singing, sharing your story. I, I just cried the whole time. Um, and it's the biggest testimony in my life. My friends, my childhood friends, they're like, Aurel, who are you? We don't recognize you. And they know that you cannot be fake because it's been 22 years now. So now you know my age. Um, and those friends, those childhood friends, they did not really understand what was happening to me. And on top of it, the Lord gave me a heart for his Jewish people. And that was also very random for them. Um, and so two reasons not to understand any of my choices or what I was doing with my life. Um, but is it, is it really, is it meaningless? Is it really something that is random? Should I go to maybe Inuits? Um, maybe that would be less random than talking to the people of old. Well, I don't think so. <laughs> I, 
I really don't think so. And the way I explain it to myself is I have two children. One son called Elijah, or Eli in French, and one daughter called Abigail. Abigail, Abichael in Hebrew means the joy of the father. And boy, she's my joy. And I love my daughter. And when I tour like this, I miss her. I really miss my daughter. But as, as much as I love my daughter, it doesn't change the fact that my son is my firstborn. The Lord loves us, his church, in ways we cannot even describe. Beyond words. But it doesn't change the fact that Israel, the Jewish people, is the firstborn. And I don't believe that God makes mistakes. I don't believe that God changes his mind. And I believe that the promise that stood yesterday stands today. So it is not meaningless. And if it was, I don't think we would be saying as many miracles as we see today in 2023 in the streets of Paris because people like you are praying. And I'm not saying it in a, in a cheesy way. You are praying and things happen. Before I was asking people to pray, I was doing it on my own for two years and nothing happened. I was by myself with one Jewish contact. Um, and now things happen. So your name is Pete, right? Pete, would you mind putting the, the PowerPoint when you have a second? Um, oh, wow. You're, you're very good. You're on it. <laughs> So, um, yeah, Paul again said that you have to be all things to all men. So I adapt. Um, when I'm in the streets of Paris, I usually often I, I'll have like a large beer. Uh, my wife hates the beer. And so she loves when I go to England because I, I shave the beer. But then I'm not with her, so it makes no sense. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, so um, on Friday, we, um, we hand out New Testaments like this. Uh, and we stand right around the Jewish district. And it's just marvelous to... We don't hide behind the tracks. Or all there is is us trying to be kind and handing out the Word of God like this. And we don't, uh, we don't feel ashamed. And the, re the, the reaction is really good. And people say, oh, Paris, don't do evangelism in Paris. It's dead. It's not. We hand out 60 New Testaments per hour on the streets of Paris, near the Jewish district. When we go to the bins at the end of the day, they're empty. There are no New Testaments. They're, they all keep them. So I don't know where those people get those things. And I respect them. I respect their opinion. But that's not what we see on the streets. Um, this man was really happy to take it home. And I believe like those Gideons that are in motels... They change lives. And, uh, and it's just wonderful to see. Um, so in my little personal ministry in Paris, in the last four years, we've had five men and, and women, uh, Jewish men and women, come to the Lord. So the next slide, if you don't mind. So this is the last outreach um, in, in July. I look pretty Jewish on the photo, don't I? <laughs> you can see the, or, the Jewish origins coming out with a vengeance. Um, so this is me with the beard and the hat, and right there I'm talking to a Holocaust survivor. So those of you following me on WhatsApp, um, 
You've been praying for him. Uh, this is someone that I still see in a Jewish cafe. He had many objections, but he's a good listener. So when you give him the right answer to his objections, his eyes are wide open. And every week he comes back to that coffee shop and he's quite open. Uh, next one, please. So this uh, woman on my, on my, on my right... Um, her name is Rachel. We changed the names, right? For security reasons, for safety reasons, to protect their identity. So she has another name. Uh, so Rachel is a, prof a professor in the uh, University of Chicago. Um, and she came to the Lord in July in Israel. And my Israeli colleague said, well, she has an apartment in Paris. So can you take care of her? So she is from, she goes from Tel Aviv to Chicago to Paris, and when she's in Paris, I have to take, her, take care of her discipleship and to slowly lead her to baptism. And she's fully, like her life is transformed already. And it's been, what, six months, seven months? Since July? You would not recognize her. She's just, you know, this is an intellectual, right? She needed a little bit more than just arguments to believe. And now she's on fire for Jesus. So, this is Rachel. The next one. Me looking even more Jewish with a kippah on this time. Why do I put a kippah on? Because those people invited me to their synagogue for a Simchat Torah. So I went there and then at the end I said, Hey, I came to your world. Will you come to my world? So they came to church one time, to Baptist church. And, uh, but we wanted to make it nice, so we removed the cross a bit, or, you know, and because they, they won't, some people won't enter a building if there's a cross. That's just, it's more like superstition than anything else. Um, and we had like a sort of Shabbat service in church, out of respect for them. Um, but the result is that one of the two prayed in Jesus' name, by the end of the service. So you come to them in love, and they respond, you know, and this is absolutely wonderful, because Jesus didn't say, become Catholic, Protestants, or Anglican, he said, follow me, right? So, this man here was my Hebrew teacher, I need to, we don't have that much time, it's my Hebrew teacher, um, and basically, uh, after three months, he came to the Lord. Um, and I was uh, enjoying his Hebrew lessons, but it was always also a way for me to share my faith. So when he became a Christian, I had to find another um, teacher, Hebrew teacher. So next slide, uh, Pete, if you don't mind. So the man on, on, on my right, his name is Wilner, and not so long ago he was a Talmud Torah teacher. So he was in local yeshiva, which is a Jewish school, teaching Talmud Torah. Uh, sorry, uh, Torah, you know, the Torah is the Old Testament, I mean, I mean, the Tanakh is the Old Testament. He was teaching the Jewish law to his students, and he's my Hebrew teacher, and uh, now he's really close to accept to accepting Jesus. He, um, he bought a Bible, he's been going to church a couple of times, so please uh, pray for Vilner. The next slide, uh, I finished with this one, this is my last one. Um, and because I wanted to finish on something that just happened. And so, um, in the summer, a man, a man called Jake 
was um, walking in South of France and he saw a Catholic church and he's a Jewish guy from Tunisia and he thought, oh wow, Christians, interesting. I heard they're all about love. I'm going to go to that church and see what this is all about. Are they just pretending to be loving people or what, what's the deal? So he goes to church in front of this Catholic church and there's an evangelical woman actually singing songs about the love of Christ. And when she's done singing, she goes to the man and she starts sharing her faith in a very sweet way. And he gives her his phone number. Fast forward last Christmas. I'm in Strasbourg doing evangelism in Strasbourg and uh, speaking at a church. At the end of church, this woman comes to me and says, Aurel, would you call this man? His name is Jake. Could you call him? He actually lives in Paris. And I met Jake. And after a whole day together, he said, Aurel, I like the whole thing, but I just don't get the cross. That's why I chose this picture. I don't get the cross. I don't get crucifixion. Why? And I said, Jake, it's a love letter. It's Jesus saying, I love you. He's like, no, it's Roman torture. It's torture. Roman torture. It's not love. And I said, Jake, it's like getting a letter. You receive a love letter from someone. And instead of receiving the message of love, you're bothered by the type of ink that the writer used. This is the same thing. Don't pass. Don't miss the love message because of the type of ink that was used. And he said, I've never heard it like this. And he looked at me and he said, uh, I feel very drawn to Jesus. I feel like something's happening in my life. And this happened before I left to come to Oxford. So this is fresh. I, as soon as I get back, we have to see each other again. And I would love to ask you to pray for me on that day that I'm inspired, that I don't say anything silly. <clears throat> um, and so the final one is just to explain to you a little bit how prayer works. Um, I'm someone who, like you, I go to church on Sunday. And sometimes I have missionaries and they ask for prayer, but I feel like they're asking for something else every time. And um, when I ask for prayer, I ask for prayer. Okay? And uh, I also don't very much like when, with those WhatsApp groups, you send a message and then you get 200 people replying those are 200 people that you'll never meet. And I didn't like that, so I wanted to fix that. So I asked someone and said, why don't you start a broadcast? Broadcast is different than a group. You will only get one message from me per week. And when you reply to say, ARL, I prayed today, no one else will see your message, only me. And if you don't pray, it's fine. There's no pressure. But if you pray just once a year, Maybe you just tell me, actually today I prayed for you. And with this system, almost every Thursday, every Friday, there's always one person who's praying for me. Well, Irene and Roger are always praying for me, so they don't count because they always <laughs> pray for me every single week. And so I'm never alone because those two pray for me every week and tell me about it. Um, and I wanted to make it as simple as possible. So you just take my phone number you save it on your phone and you give me your phone number and I do the rest and you get only one message on Thursday and that's it. So 
Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you Andy, for uh, sharing a little bit earlier about the Watchman card. I appreciate that. Um, and maybe if there are <coughs> questions afterwards, I'll be happy to stick around and you know answer your questions. So thank you so much. Conclusion is it's still relevant today. Um, and don't hesitate to come see me afterwards and I'll give you some tips on how to talk to your Jewish doctor. Amen. <laughs>